0: What is up everybody? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And today's episode, I got the one and only Adam Frater in the house. And if that name sounds familiar, Adam is one of the biggest influencers and people of impact in the fitness and calisthenic space. He is an absolute beast. He can do some of the most incredible things with his body. But in this episode, you get to know such a deeper, different side of Adam. We dive deep into things like family, relationships, childhood trauma, and masculinity. This is probably one of the most controversial episodes that I have ever put out on the podcast. But you already know that we keep it real at Thrive University. So without further ado, let's jump in to today's show. What is up, you motherfucking legends? Speaking of legends, I'm with a legend right now, myself. And (laughs) the man across from me is also a legend, it's the man, the myth, the legend, Adam Frater. What's up,
1: my dude? Doing well, man. Just doing well. That was quite the intro. Thank you. Legendary intro. You discuss might
0: want to put that mic closer to your mouth. You just should like, know all
1: about that. It should just be grazing my, my lips here. There shouldn't be physical contact. I mean, who was on this mic before me? I don't think they deserve this. I deserve this.
0: Um. Anyways. It's pretty close. Just, this is a just pretty see, awkward just so start.
1: It's, it's much closer than yours.
0: Okay, this was a pretty awkward start to the show. Sorry for you guys. Jeremy's but we're just s-
1: slowly dangling his microphone over my mouth. It's awkward.
0: We're yeah. just being very open and authentic here. And um, Adam, dude, it's round three. Yeah. I'm very uh grateful that you're back in America and that Same. you didn't fully lose yourself in Turkey. Um I know I know it came close. Um wanted to see. How you wanted to start this show what's something that is maybe close to your mind right now close to your heart that you feel called to share
1: oh man it's a very interesting question a very interesting time um today of all days see my family's been in a bit of a disarray for the last few years that's for everybody else jeremy's aware of this And um, for the most part, where my dad and my brother aren't speaking, my dad has my stepmom. They're on their side. My brother has his wife and his newborn child where they're not speaking. Today, everybody decided to bring me into it, which is interesting because for so long, my dad's psychiatrist is like, don't bring in your other son. Don't jeopardize that relationship. My brothers know not to bring me into it beyond a certain point. And like, it's funny because today my mom comes in. She's never been involved in it because she's not married to my dad. So it's just like her trying to get my brothers back. Um, My stepbrother is now involved and he'd stayed out of it for two years. And then he brought me into it. And then of course my brother wanted to have a conversation this morning. So my brother starts the morning by wanting to have a conversation. This is after last night, stepbrother wanted to talk about the conversation they were just about to have. And everybody's having all these uncomfortable conversations. Now I know it's a lot, it's a lot. Without getting into the minute of what all of this is about, because it's just dumb family drama, uh, I think that the first thing that's most important is my takeaways from this scenario. Takeaway number one, every family has drama. You are unique and you're not unique. You're unique because everybody's is unique and has their own issues and you're not unique as in the sense of your suffering is not yours and yours alone. Everybody's dealing with it in some regard. It could be your relationship to your parents. Maybe you have a great relationship, but there's some trauma there. It could be a relationship to a sibling. It could be your parents' relationships to one of their siblings. Mm-hmm. It could be a million different things. It could be losses in the families. It could be illnesses. Everybody's dealing with something when it comes to family. Um, So I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself or play victim in this regard. It is more or less a very interesting learning experience. We are nurtured by our parents in this world. And um, this is a good way to see how I would have been nurtured one type of way and maybe remove a blindness to not be similar to how they're acting in certain regards. While, number two, maintaining compassion For the fact that my brother, in his own regard, has deep-rooted traumas from my parents' divorce early on, my dad's second marriage, a lot of things. And my parents have traumas from raising my brother, who was a problem. And everybody's just human, and everything that's led up to today is just, I guess this will be number three, a bunch of choices. Mm. As I was talking to my stepbrother through all of this, um, he... (laughs) We talked last night and then this morning he talked to my brother and his wife and he threw me under the bus even after we spoke. And when we spoke on the phone, he's like, yo, we're different. We think differently. Then in the morning he throws me under the bus and he says him not getting involved. He thinks he's self-righteous, whatever, whatever. Now I'm not upset about that. He might have his opinion. Maybe he thinks I should have gotten involved and I haven't been involved, but I say choices because I don't know what I'm doing in this scenario. I don't want to jeopardize my relationship with my dad. don't want to jeopardize my relationship with my brother. I want to have both. But at the same time, I don't have experience dealing with this. Just like my parents didn't have experience dealing with divorce and having two kids, and they might have been petty at times. If you have experience in these things, that's probably its own issue. But in this regard, I don't have experience. So every step is just another choice. I'm trying to make wise choices. And I guess this will be number four is there is no rational thinking when you're emotional. If you feel yourself being emotional, you can see it with cues like the fight or flight response, either not being willing to have a conversation and running from it or arguing someone else's point of view, even though they tell you this is how they feel, rejecting it. That's the fight or flight response. That usually means that you're in denial. So if you recognize that in yourself, wait. Pause, breathe, breath is great, or take a step back, remove the emotion, come back to it, and then you could be rationally thinking more matter-of-fact and let things occur to you as they should without all of these other factors. Well,
0: thank you. There's thank you. intro. F- thank you for all those lessons. Those are powerful. Um, thanks for sharing that, bro. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I can definitely relate to sometimes... Hitting send on a text or an email when those emotions are rampant and high, in every fucking time, I regret it. And I'm like, come on, bro, you're better than that. Take some time and space away from the situation, take some breaths, and then see how you feel. Right. So you said you don't really know what choices are right or wrong? Are you kind of just going on your intuition? Like what feels right in that moment?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, everybody thinks differently. There's different parts of your brain from your conscience to your subconscious, to your super subconscious. I had a friend once explain this to me as the three eyes, you have intellect, instinct, and intuition. And it's really hard to decipher between the three of them sometimes, but intellectualizing something can be good. You can think about what's right and what's wrong about what you know about yourself. But for instance, if you get too busy intellectualizing things, like does this person I'm dating fit all of the buckets of what I deemed necessary, then you might miss out on love. Have you ever fallen in love with someone who doesn't fit the perfect mold of what you think you want to marry, but you realize you don't care because you love them? So that's where sometimes intellect can be too much, but at the same time, you know yourself, you should think about things logically and not emotionally. And then you have your instinct and you have your intuition and your instinct is how you should naturally feel. But part of that is, in, you know, interpreted by the way that we were nurtured in the world. Mm. And then you have your intuition, which you don't have the ability to really touch on or influence your intuition is just there. It's something that's in your gut, in your feeling that makes you do the things you do wake up in the morning and live your life.
0: Yeah. I like that breakdown. I've never heard that. The three eyes. Intellect, instinct, intuition. So you've kind of been trying to find that balance between those three, it sounds like, when navigating that situation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I know that I am a more intellectualizing person. I'm not saying I'm more intellectual in the sense of being more intelligent. It's just how I regard certain scenarios. I intellectualize. I think matter of fact. If it's a political topic and I see emotionally charged people that are triggered. That sets off my trigger of they're not being intellectual. They're not intellectualizing. They're acting on pure emotion right now. Now, that doesn't mean that it's one eye or the other eye. They're all very much present at the same time. But it it helps me recognize when I'm dealing with people that aren't on that side of things. Recently, I lost a friendship with someone who's a really close friend of mine um, because they had an emotional breakdown in front of me. And their anger, frustration, or issues going on in the world, which I know what they're dealing with personally, should have been directed at someone else. I just happened to be in the way, and they came at me. And I felt offended and insulted as a friend. Like, my friend shouldn't have done this to me. But at the same time, that person was not intellectualized in this situation. The way that I remember everything was very matter-of-fact. This is what happened. This is what happened. They started crying. I didn't scream back. I said... This, this, and this very calmly. Now, what I find funny about the situation, and this is a a different topic, is this person, um, while they were hysterical and crying, started screaming things at me like they ran up to me, got in my face and said, get out of my face, get the fuck out of my face. And I'm like calm the whole time being rational thinking because the situation didn't require any emotions like they literally broke down out of nowhere. And I'm just like, dude, what is going on? Like, I'm not, you just came into my face to tell me to get out of your face. Like, just the level of disconnectedness in that moment is just so, so far, it's such an irrational form of behavior for anybody who's a, an adult, let alone a 31-year-old adult. Um, and my only compassion, to date back to what I think we all need to have at times, is I feel like my friend owes me an apology. It's irrelevant because I don't think I'll get it because the way that she sees the story while she was in this emotional state is that there's no way she could apologize. I 100% would have to apologize to her. And this is an example of why people like my dad and my brother can't get over it because everybody has a different interpretation of what happened because they're emotionally charged and they literally see the, the situation differently. It's amazing how when you're emotional and connected to your ego, the facts of something change. We see it in politics. We see it in health around COVID. We see it being used as a tool in propaganda across the board. The facts change when you're emotional. Yeah. You turn to a third party and then that becomes difficult. Like my family is doing. You turn to third parties so that you can gain troops and people can support you and you can feel not crazy. How many times do you hear somebody say, just tell me I'm not crazy? My dad used to love that. Just just, just tell me I'm not crazy. You, the, the, your, bro, your brother's... Uh, the. Needing that validation. Right. Like, yeah. And what do you do in that moment? It's like, you either say you're crazy, and now they're your enemy, or you say you're not crazy. Then they think they won you over. Then the other party says the same thing to you, and you say, yeah, you're not crazy to the other party. Yeah.
0: That's important. It also, It also kind of speaks upon, which I've told you before, one of the things that I love about my friendship with you is I feel like I can tell you things from a place of love that might be like constructive criticism that might offend a lot of other people, but you understand it's like, no, this is my homie. He has my best interests in mind. You can give me feedback, which you have in the past many times. Um, and a lot of times, like it forces me to think and I'm like, Oh, wow. He has a good point there. That's something I want to dive deeper into researching or just learning about myself right and oftentimes we're so blinded by our emotions that we can't really act in accordance to our highest self because
1: i mean you make a great point like let me ask you something or let me ask everybody listening something if somebody offends you did they offend you or did you get offended mm. well i 100 percent like to believe i have the power in my life so in that instance my belief is You chose to get offended. Sure, there's approaches on a spectrum where people are going out of their way to offend you. But if, like you said, it's a person that loves you and cares about you, you have to look at it as their agenda is not to go out of their way to offend you. Their agenda is to help you. And if you get offended, that's your choice. And I have watched this again and again. I've watched this with the the last girl that I was dating who literally would say to me, "Um, I know you didn't mean this. But it hurt me. That's a hard message for me to understand. Maybe I'm wrong about this. If you know you're saying the language, so words are important. If you know I didn't mean this, then how can you let it hurt you? And you're you're telling yourself the story to make it hurt you when you know that it wasn't meant to hurt you. Doesn't make sense.
0: It's, it's like self like sabotage. It's a self sabotage. It, eh? it makes me think of. It makes me think of the expression oh, you're pushing my buttons. When in reality, usually what that means is like, I have different traumas, emotional wounds that you're touching with something that you said or did, probably unintentionally, and
1: now I'm triggered.
0: But it's not because of you, it's because of my unresolved shit. Yeah.
1: and I had to have an uncomfortable conversation with, Ryan's one of my best friends, one of your good friends. I've had to have uncomfortable conversations with him as he has had with me um, about a lot of things over the time. And the one reason that he's one of my closest friends, one of the reasons you're one of my closer friends now is because we can have those conversations. And it's unfortunate in the world that everybody's always looking for an opportunity to be offended Mm. because then you can't take criticism. You're never willing to see your blindnesses and you live in your own universe. Like if eight people tell you you're an asshole but you argue with all of their perspectives and say, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Well, you can go around living in your universe and thinking you're nice and the world's not going to treat you as nice as you wish it would. and You'll just be in denial as opposed to listening and being like, damn, if eight people think so, if even one person thinks so, it's something that I don't see. Right. Maybe I should regard it with a little bit of respect. Yeah. And dive deeper and be curious about it. Right. Because how many times do we have a disagreement or argument with somebody like I did with my best friend? And I'm convinced that I did nothing wrong. I'm even saying it now. I am convinced I did nothing wrong. My friend was standing there with me. I asked him multiple times throughout the week afterwards if I had done anything, if I even raised my voice and didn't recognize it. He assures me no. And it's, it helps, right? There's the assurance that I said that I need. Yeah, Would I be willing to forgive? Of course. Am I willing to pretend like I did something? I don't know. but That's the issue, right? Going back to the rational
0: intellectual part of the mind, Mm. right? I definitely feel like that's where you operate a lot from, right? Which, like you said, I feel like that serves you in many ways where you're able to not get hyper-emotional when other people around you are, and you're able to be kind of like that grounding energy, Mm -hmm. which is fucking important. We need more of that shit in in the world. I'm wondering, do you feel like, is there any part of your... body whether it's physically emotionally spiritually that you feel like you want to tap more into is there any is there any part of maybe that because you've had to maybe be so intellectual and strong when the, whether it's with family or different relationships where it's kind of taken away from your ability to maybe like be more open and vulnerable and asking for support if that makes sense
1: yeah i mean it's not like i haven't thought about these things I think that typically for people, if you're one way with this, then you're a little bit less this in the spectrum of things where I am more rational. And, um, you know, at least that's how I think I'm very much less emotional and I've had multiple girlfriends tell me I'm not emotional. I act like I don't care and I'm emotionless. And I think it's a hundred percent incorrect and false. And I think all the people that dated me would also say that I'm a big softy inside and I'm disguised on the outside as being this. So it's contradicting point of views. But I think that it's really important because I don't operate in the world believing that men should be a certain level of openness to their, to their girlfriends. I mean, I think that as a man, I'm supposed to provide a certain sense of emotional stability, um, financial stability, security, And I'm supposed to be that grounded force, like a tree with its roots. I'm supposed to be grounded. Now, that doesn't mean that when life's tough, I can't confide in my girlfriend or in my wife in the future. But if every single time I had a tough day, like when I used to date this girl every day, she'd come home from work complaining about work. And I would just listen. If every day I was doing that, I'm not in my power as a man. Yeah. So I definitely don't think that because I don't show emotions on the outside that I don't have them. I think anybody I date would know that I have them and have a lot of them. I think that people that are less likely to show emotions on the outside are probably more emotion, like more connected to their emotions. They're just able to control it. As opposed to people who you see that burst out in tears literally every step of the way. That person's very emotional on the outside, but can they control their emotions? doesn't seem like it. And it doesn't seem like they want to. Because somewhere in their world, their belief is don't hold things in, always let it out. Well, I don't know where the dangerous message is here. You should definitely let things out if they bottle up in the sense of it bottling up. But me not crying as an adult, just because I might have cried when I was 12, does not mean that I'm bottling anything up. It means I'm being a man and recognizing that the world is full of problems and it's not about avoiding problems and crying. It's about how I react to them. I don't have time to cry. I would rather put my time into doing something to create a better outcome or scenario for myself.
0: Yeah. Finding
1: a solution rather than just continuing to focus on the problem. Right. I will take moments of present mindedness to breathe, recognize how much something upsets me. It's instant because the amount of computing power I have in my subconscious versus when I outwardly try to project something is 10, 100 fold. So I can literally spend 30 seconds recognizing how much something upsets me instead of crying for 10 minutes in the corner. Recognize it, move past it, and then be action oriented. Yeah. You actually helped me. I
0: remember it was probably like, I don't know, February or March, I was dating this girl for a little bit and I remember like it was one of the first times that after kind of things like fizzled out and ended that I actually cared. I was like, oh wow, like this actually kind of hurts. Like this is an interesting feeling I'm experiencing. And I came over to your place and I kind of explained to you and shared to you like some of the things that had happened and you gave me your perspective. And you kind of let me know and you raised my awareness of like how many emotions I shared and the fact that it was like still early kind of in our exploration phase. And it made me realize after I reflected on what you had told me, it made me actually realize that I had put this woman on a pedestal and I was like, damn, like, I'm vibing. I'm loving our time together. She's fucking fired. Like, yes. And in that process, I kind of dimmed my own light. And not that I put her, I guess, actually, I could say I, in some ways, I put her above me and her priorities and needs in front of mine. And I wouldn't have recognized that if you didn't give me that feedback from that night. So, that's just an example of how valuable that shit is. Don't surround yourself with people who are constantly just validating every one of your thoughts and ideas and opinions. Have friends who are going to call you out on your bullshit, who are going to hold you accountable. That's a fucking friend, bro.
1: Well, doesn't that tie into the whole being offended thing? It's like we live in this this world of social shaming and cancel culture, and whether that exists in politics, it exists in the social world, right? And how how often is your friend going to give you that constructive criticism, maybe not you, give somebody that constructive criticism. And they're like, I'm offended. You're not a good friend. You would just support me blindly in anything that I do. And I agree with you 100%. No, you yeah. need to hold each other. The one thing that we're missing in today's world more than anything is accountability. Everybody nice. is too nice and nobody wants to hold anybody accountable because the minute that you hold somebody accountable, you're just gaslit or kicked out. And that person can go on and continue to live in their denial. And I recognize this. I don't know if it was from playing high school sports, having football coaches that taught you this, but like there was no excuses. I had a football coach as a teacher and I had them as my coaches and we were on a pretty good football team, like nine and almost made a state championship. It was a pretty serious program. And there was no excuses with the coach. You're late to practice or this and that. There was only I'm sorry and I will do better. And you had to be sorry and do better. It didn't matter. Teacher held you for de- detention. Coach didn't care. It might even be a viable excuse. He didn't care. Because at the end of the day, you got detention. You had to serve detention. That took you away from practice. All he needs to know is he's running a ship and you're not there. Think about any time that a friend's been late for a party. A friend was supposed to pick you up. A friend was supposed to do something for you. And instead, they gave you an excuse. You don't care about the excuse. You just say, okay, whatever, like, inconvenient. They feel good about having given it to you because they think that they're now in the clear, but you never take the excuse. So how can you ever give it when you know an excuse does nothing for you when you receive it? And here we are just giving excuses all day long. Nobody holds anybody accountable.
0: I think the reason, the deeper reason for that is because most people don't hold themselves accountable to anything, right? That's why most people have shitty self-esteem and confidence Is because they say they're going to do something. They say they're going to prioritize their health, their wealth, their relationships, and they never fucking take action. They procrastinate. They put it off till next week, next month. And that time never happens. And they're just continuing to abandon on their own word, which is why they lack self-esteem and confidence. And they project that shit onto others. And then you're just in this enabling culture of like, Oh no, it's not your fault. You had a tough day. Like it's all good. And, That just is not a powerful place to live life from.
1: Well, it kind of brings me to the whole alpha and beta conversation. Right. Right. Because there is something that's trending that's both beautiful and detrimental at the same time. And for lack of a better term, it's spirituality. Like yoga is a trending thing, which gets people into what they believe is this spiritual realm, despite side topic, us westernizing the practice of yoga for fitness and for monetary gain, which is a completely separate argument. But, like, this community of, like, trying to pursue your spiritual path has created a lot of issues. And I'll give you an example. Now, it's created a lot of beauty, more open-mindedness, people taking time, being present. But at the same time, it's told men not to be men, right? It's told you to sit and eye gaze and cry with your partner and show that vulnerable side and be open. Even now, people are listening, saying, what's wrong with that? Well, like I said, there's a certain aspect of being a man, being in your masculine energy, men have masculine and feminine energy, women have both, being in your masculine energy and that being something that attracts the opposite sex the majority of the time. If a woman is more in her masculine energy, probably would take a more feminine energy guy. I don't think that that generally suits most men. There's a lot of guys that I know that are living in their feminine. They're being more beta men and their women are dominating the relationship. And at the same time, Their women are losing interest in them sexually. Women don't want to be the fucking masculine role in the relationship. No. Never. That's why any guy that's super open with his emotions and cries with his girl makes her feel really secure emotionally, but the physical attraction and desire isn't there as much, nor is the power dynamic for cohabitating.
0: mm, Because you become more like friends and roommates than intimate partners. Right.
1: And not to mention, like, somebody needs to own... Like, my belief is somebody needs to own control over the household. There's one person that makes a decision. This is why they tell you in business you shouldn't be 50-50 partners with anybody. You should always be 51 or 49%. So somebody has the ability to make that overarching decision. And it's no different in a family than it is a business. You are a partnership, but at what point do you say, no, we are not? Because in a partnership, you only have two people. If one party's being emotional and you share the decision making, well, that's a dangerous scenario to be in because we know emotion's not rational thinking and they have 50% of the votes right there. Yeah. I know I said
0: this once when we recorded previously, Um, but everything you said, I think is spot on. And it's, it's kind of annoying that what you just said is considered controversial. You know what I'm saying? First of all, you're entitled to whatever the fuck you want to believe, right? But if you just look, like if you just observe at society and humanity, especially in America, you'll see exactly what Adam's talking about, right? You'll see there's this imbalance in a lot of relationships and there's a lot of settling going on, a lot of settling for someone who's good enough, who might get the job done, but they're not really filling up your cup completely
1: right well think about at the same time it's not just settling in your relationship if you're on the beta masculine vibe you're not you're settling in your own life what else comes along you can regard a lot of things outside of sex as alpha or beta if you treat your body with respect and you eat a healthy diet and you exercise that's some alpha shit right there If you come home from work and you grab a box of fucking Cheerios and you sit on the couch until your girl makes you dinner, you watch Netflix and you fall asleep, that's some beta shit. Yeah. I mean, that's nothing wrong with doing that every now and then, but like you're not showing your body respect. You're not showing your mind respect. You're not showing your lifestyle respect. You're literally just like coasting through life. That's some beta shit right there. If in your relationships you can't have an uncomfortable conversation, it's some beta shit. I don't live in my life with an elephant in the room ever. It's never going to be in the room. There's not enough space in any room for me to be there with an elephant. If I have a problem, the more uncomfortable thing to do is to sit there with the elephant. I don't understand why people put them through this shit. Sometimes is conversation so uncomfortable that you can't just walk up to somebody and just address something as an adult. Like we're like, it's kind of crazy to me to think about that. There was a time before I could do this. I sit in pitch meetings with CEOs, investors, VCs. I sit in other sorts of business meetings. I sit in, in a lot of high um, notable instances where I have to be a respectable professional individual and communicate some things. Right. Asking for money, asking investors to understand why we're not making whatever it might be. And I can't just go approach somebody and be like, yeah, um, what about what we were kind of, you know, our issue. We were chatting about in the DMs. We hate each other right now because of some political stuff. Can we talk about it real quick? Nah, that's, that's too uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I can't even believe, even with my family, I can't, under-believe, I can't believe that both my dad and my brother would rather deal with what they've done for the last two years than just fucking drop the ego, drop it, talk to each other, hug it out. And even as I say this, I know that each party while they're listening is thinking like, that's obviously not possible because of this, 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 and that. I know. It's unfortunate that it usually
0: takes something fucking dramatic to happen for that reconciliation to finally fucking occur, like a death in the family or some near-death experience. It's like, bro, like there's so much fucking love, I guarantee, between your brother and dad, and I see it, you know, I've had a lot of interesting experiences with my older brother and... There's so much fucking love there, bro. And when you can finally escape the prison of your own mind and recognize that shit and just come to peace with some of the shit from the past and focus on your bright future, like so much more happiness, fulfillment and harmony will be created. Do you think it's like, do you think it's like, do you think a big reason why people hold on to anger and resentment and these different relationships are because of ego? Like, What do you think it is inside of us that? It's
1: definitely ego, but I think it's like a game of mirroring. You know, Most people mirror what is presented to them. If somebody's nice to you all of a sudden at a party, it's so much easier to be nice. But if you walk in, you think everybody's staring at you, you sink and you kind of stare around, right? You might, think, you might think this person's an asshole because he's got a, a, an RBF, a resting bitch face is something that we say, right? But like maybe that's the nicest person ever, but you're not even willing to give him a chance. So we mirror things and if somebody's going to play victim, which is like the most fucking that's a virus, right? That's a that's a terrible virus in our society is people playing victim and everybody's doing it right now. If one minority has their moment, another minority wants to play victim and they need their moment and these people need their moment. Then the non minorities are like, well, what about us? Because now we've dealt with this. We need our moment. Everybody wants to play victim because everybody is playing victim. And that's a big problem. And that is a hundred percent tied to ego. Yeah. But victimhood victimhood's fucking cancerous. I like to believe my biggest problem with playing victim with anything in life is the fact that I am a control freak. And I will admit that I like to control things in my life. I don't like to leave them to other people's assumptions about what I would like. I don't like to leave them to chance. I like to control things. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy spontaneity, but in my desire to control things in life why would i choose as the narrator of my life to assume a position of no control where i am the victim and all of this has happened to me and everyone should feel terrible because this keeps happening to me when you hear that person playing victim at what point do you say when it's not you when someone else does it to you at what point do you say you need to stand up for yourself Stand up to the bully. Do something about it. Get yourself a job. Start being healthier. Yeah. So in my life, it's not, a, it's not a question of like, of course, I'm going to have moments of playing victim and feeling sorry for myself. But I try to mitigate it by telling myself I am the narrator and I can 100% change the story to me being in a position of control. Things didn't happen to me. Things happened. I can react and I can embrace those as challenges and I can grow.
0: Yeah, that's the mindset I think that we all should aim to cultivate. Um, and it it kind of touches on like, you know, in, in, the, in my mastermind in the past few years, coached a lot of fucking people. I've coached a lot of people in these last couple of years. I've actually coached a lot of women, uh, a lot of moms. And one of the common threads, I would say, 60 to 70% of them have all been in an abusive relationship or they're currently still in one. And it blows my mind to think that they're willing to accept any sort of abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, verbal. And ultimately, that's kind of the message I have to deliver to them is like, you're actually accepting this. Like part of you is unhealed. You have these different traumas and emotional wounds that actually have programmed you to believe that you deserve to be mistreated.
1: Well, generally, we're creatures of habit. So we find it comfortable to do things that we are comfortable with, things that we're familiar with. Why is it that if, you know, someone in your family was abusive, do you go on to be in an abusive relationship? Again, it's because you're comfortable with that. That's why they say every mm. man grows up to marry his mother and every girl grows up to marry somebody like their father. And if you have daddy issues, it makes you do this or that and be a certain type of way. I mean, it's a funny topic, but like, Daddy issues is a good topic, right? It's usually referred to when a girl is a little bit more out there, whether sexually or with her socializing, partying, doing drugs. Usually she has some issue with her father. Well, what does that girl usually do? Does she go date like the preppy schoolboy who's perfect? Or does she go date the biker with the neck tattoo who's going to treat her like shit? I know I'm posing a, a hypothetical, but like I think all of us see that scenario as, no, she goes for the guy who treats her like shit most of the time most of the time the girls that I see that have issues with their families put themselves in relationships where they have issues instead of learning from it, they run to it.
0: Yeah. That's let that one sink in for a minute. Let that one sink in. And it kind of, it reminds me of this story between these two twin brothers. Their father was an alcoholic. One of the brothers grew up and also became an alcoholic Because he watched his dad. The other brother grew up and never touched alcohol. Why? Because he watched his dad. He watched his dad destroy his life, his family's life. So the only difference in that situation was the stories that those two brothers were telling themselves. One of them thought drinking was the way to live life. And the other's like, I want to stay as far away from that as possible. So we have to really become aware of the stories that we're telling ourselves since childhood bro like most of this shit is pre-programmed in our first seven years of life
1: and well to add to that we also live in a time where it's been popularized to start from the bottom and now Mm. you're here well everybody's bottom's different whether you grew up without your parents in the slums whether you grew up in middle class america or you grew up wealthy everybody wants to pretend like they started from the bottom so if you grew up wealthy it's Well, I didn't have any help from my parents and my dad was never around and my stepmom and like whatever you want to create as this story to show that you struggled so that people will give you credibility if you're successful. And that's a big issue. It's detrimental to society. I don't see anybody bragging like, oh, no, I had a pretty good leg up in life. And like now I've done even better because we don't give credibility to that person. We want to hear you went to jail and now you're a millionaire. For some reason, we love that we cater to this low denomination of ourselves for some reason in our society. And it's, I mean, it's been popularized by pop culture, but think about that. That is detrimental in up massively. Yeah. Well, there's also when, when you look at the most
0: successful people who have made the greatest impact in humanity, well, let's just throw out some names, LeBron James, Joe Rogan, uh, any of the fucking high-level CEOs, executives, Elon Musk, whoever, when you actually look at their childhoods, a majority of them are pretty fucked up. And I think a big reason why they become successful is because that's their only way out of their fucking destructive situation. And on the other side of the spectrum, when you grow up, like like I grew up in a very stable home. My dad was a doctor, right? Like, externally, amazing. Things are great, right? However, I look at most of my friends from high school, middle school, college who grew up in similar type settings, and they're the ones that settled for such a safe routine life because they had been programmed to do things that got the external validation from their parents. They didn't want to fuck up, right? They didn't really go all in on their fucking dreams. They took this very traditional route. And I think that's why you see a lot of fucking people that come from successful families not necessarily create that for themselves because they were entitled, they were coddled,
1: they were given a fucking eight-place trophy when they were playing youth soccer. Well, also think about their bar of success. I had a friend in high school whose dad was one of the wealthier dads of all the families in our high school, and he was more of a fuck-up. And I remember even my dad saying, like, like, how could he be like this? Like, he had every leg up. Well, the difference is this. His dad lives in a mansion. That means this kid grew up in a mansion. So what is his definition of success? It's a mansion. If you grew up in the projects and everybody that you know lives in the projects, then what's your definition of success? Anything above the projects. Right. So did this Mm. kid leave college thinking like, I'm going to be better than my dad? Like, no, that bar was so high. I even had that problem. Right. I grew up with my dad broke. Both of my parents broke. As I got through middle school, my dad's business started doing better and he started gaining more things, assets and whatnot. In high school, he was doing really well. He bought a five bedroom house. So I went from sleeping in bunk beds with my brother in the kitchen of my dad's house to all of a sudden he has a five bedroom house in the nice neighborhood in, in town. And he's driving a nice car around. And now he has a boat. Well, at 15, I had a license to drive my dad's boat. I'm 32 right now. I still don't have that boat. Right. But I had it when I was 15. So I've actually regressed in life. Right. In a sense. The guy who grew up in his dad's mansion, if his dad's not giving him a leg up, for the next 20, 30 years, unless he's somehow as successful as his dad, he is less successful than he was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a big issue, but it's also respecting that everybody's bottom started from the bottom is different. And I'll tell you this, when I was in Cambodia three or four years ago, you have people that are as poor as the poorest people you've seen. You can actually use U.S. dollars in that country because they're dying to get even one buck. It will make a huge difference. 15 minute massage is $2. Um, And I saw kids playing in the dirt unpaved street with rocks as if they were little toy cars right? And in America, we have the toy cars, maybe there's a little remote on it, or your kid's one years old, he's driving around in a replica uh, Escalade that's like 30,000, right? There's levels to it. Well, the kids in Cambodia weren't any less happy playing with their rocks than the kid in America playing with his fancy car. It's just what they know. So at the end of the day, what makes you more unhappy is the more things that you have to compare and the story that you go on to tell yourself as to whether or not you didn't have it as good you've been suffering or whatever and again we live in this world of started from the bottom so what's your bottom Mm. you came from a five bedroom house but your parents were abusive that's pretty much starting from the bottom in some regards or you came from a one room flat with five brothers and sisters and your parents were out working all the time that's also starting from the bottom yeah what's the bottom financially emotionally yeah spiritually yeah that's
0: a beautiful story in Cambodia though um in regards to, in regards to, what did you fucking say about? Um, oh, you were talking about you are talking about giving the example, you, just giving giving your example, right? Going back to your example, growing up, and you have this five bedroom house, right? You're driving your dad's boat; he's got a nice whip. All of these things, and that's programming you to believe that all of those things equate to success, right? And materially. Potentially, yes, those things might signify that you've reached some sort of financial success in your life. However, bro, I feel like that narrative and paradigm of success is fucking broken because we've seen so many fucking billionaires who are absolutely unhappy, unfulfilled, right? So I think everyone really needs to take a t- take time, take a moment and actually gain clarity on what successful means to you because we all have different levels of that. Right. And that's the best
1: way that you could say it. Right. What does success mean to you? What does success Success mean to you? Success is not a thing. There is no title of success that you fit, that I fit, that he fits, that she fits. Right. Then that's just assuming success means making a lot of money. And you're right. If your goal is to help Marine life, or there's like two sharks, like people that swim with sharks and work on shark conservation or whatever that I follow on social media that their entire life is committed to trying to help save the sharks. Well, a few years ago, they got shark fishing um, outlawed off the coast of, I think it was like Australia somewhere. It's a huge win for people who have devoted their life to these creatures. Did they make more money doing it? No, they didn't make any more money. But that's a huge form of success in what they do. Yeah. All
0: it's, right. It's kind of similar to just the impact, right? Like if you're at Muscle Beach in Miami or you're at, in Venice or you're anywhere around the world – right? Doing calisthenics guarantee there'll be multiple people that come up to you and they're like, yo, bro, I've been following you for a minute. I fucking love your work. I've been inspired by you. Right. I'm sure that means more to you than selling a few more programs. Oh, for sure.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I've never regarded my fitness as my success. It might've been my issue. Maybe I would have devoted more time, attention, energy, and value to my craft of movement, but I also recognize, and this is my problem and has been my problem and the same problem that a lot of people have when it comes to successes, are you defining it for yourself or are you defining it for other people? Are you doing this because you think other people will see you as successful or are you doing it because it's gonna make you happy and make you feel successful? Mm. I never wanted to be in the fitness industry because I never would have given myself respect If I had chosen a career that was so limiting financially, I recognize in the digital era, it's not limiting financially anymore. But when people tell me that I grew up with that, no, or people that I went to college with where I have a double major from a great university, where they think that I'm just doing this low level fitness job, it bothers me. It used to bother me more. Now I don't care because I live an amazing lifestyle and I have all the things that I want financially. I have time. I have freedom, whatever. But it, does, it doesn't sit well with me that they believe that my, what I've pr- given the world is so limited. But, you know, that's image is reality. Exactly. Reception I mean,
0: everyone's operating in their own story. Like, bro, I think the shit that you and I do, I know it's different things, but kind of under the same umbrella, dog, like this shit's so fucking rewarding. And just being able to do this on a Friday at 4 p.m., like and be considered work like this shit brings me so much fucking joy and that's why i'm able to personally show up with so much passion and energy because like if i wasn't worried about money or time like this is literally how i would spend a lot of my days is having like dope conversations with my homies hopefully creating impactful content for the world
1: yeah you know I mean, listen, I literally just saw on Instagram the other day, it was like a guy being asked a a question from a reporter. It was just a random guy off the street, and it was, if you died tomorrow, would you be content with everything that you've given the world? And he was like, absolutely, I'll be absolutely content. Now, this guy did not look like he had a lot of money or assets or he had done anything in his career that seemed big, just from the way that he looked on the outside. Maybe not fair to judge, but it's all part of the story. And he said, yeah, because I know that I've helped a lot of people and anybody that I've spoken to will will speak kindly of me. And that's Mm. the purpose of life. Right. So it's a very simple answer. I'm sure he's had lots of struggles and challenges along the way in his life, as we all do. But like at the end of the day, his fulfillment and his version of success is just being a good person. Well, he just literally set the bar in the easiest place to just have awesome days every single day. If my determining as to whether or not it was a today as a Friday was a good day or a bad day or Monday at work is a good day or a bad day is if somebody smiles at me, that'd be amazing. If I could shift my expectations of success to as long as you made somebody smile, I will be so successful. And instead, how hard are we on ourselves? Because I need to do this and I could be doing more. You can always be doing more. You can always make more money, but you cannot always impact people. You cannot always have time.
0: Yeah. Detaching from those expectations, I feel like for myself has been one of the most important lessons to learn. That's removed a lot of stress and anxiety from my life is rather than be so fixated on certain numbers and metrics, it's like literally be fucking obsessed with the process. And I know that shit shit sounds corny, but it's like literally just show up and fucking that compound interest that you're going to receive by detaching from the expectations and the destination and really just fucking saddle up for the journey day in and day out. Like you didn't build this body or everything else that you have in your life overnight. It was literally committed action every fucking day, you know? And I think that's dope to have more patience and also release some of the pressure on ourselves,
1: you know? Gotta be more alpha and own your shit more.
0: Do you have, can we go till five? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I wanted to talk a little bit about toxic masculinity. You touched on it earlier. So
1: I don't think that's a thing, just to be clear. Okay. And we'll, we'll, do you want to say why well we can get into it but i don't think masculinity is toxic i think even the term toxic masculinity creates an issue that we need to be on our tiptoes about our masculinity exactly you know that it's okay to be a feminist do we have a group on the other side for men masculist it doesn't exist right feminism a thing and we don't have that who's out there championing for men who's out there telling men it's okay to go through your hormonal responses, to feel a certain way as a guy in this world. I often see feminists come together to claim their issues with men, to claim how men could be better, to claim how hard it is to be a woman in today's world. Fair, justified. You should have that group to talk to about that. We don't have that as men. Well, even so- We're not even allowed to. Even just
0: going back to that group that you said, it almost sounds like- they're creating all these narratives and stories based on their own fucking baggage and traumas for right sure. it's like like of course there's fucking douchebags out there there's bad dudes just as there's bad women like there's toxic femininity that's a thing too F- these are Absolutely. just these are just general toxic fucking traits like i'll be
1: there's for example toxic people right i don't believe your masculinity is toxic, and I don't believe your femininity is toxic. Do feminists come together and act toxically together? Sure. Yeah. But femininity is not toxic. Can we say femininity is toxic? You could be too feminine, and that could be toxic. Yeah. So you could be too masculine, and that could be toxic. No, there's no too masculine when that's a natural thing that exists in biology, right? Can you be a dick and that be toxic? Yeah, you could be a dick. Yeah. Can you be a bitch and that be toxic? You can be a bitch. Yeah. It's nothing to do with your masculinity or your femininity. That's yeah. just you being a dick or a bitch. Right. Yeah. it's
0: <laughs> well said. I was at, I was at the standard spa and I think I might've shared this with you, but basically it was a couple. I don't know if they were married, boyfriend and girlfriend. The girl is in the cold plunge channeling through her breath, going through this courageous act and on the side, her boyfriend, just like beer belly, ripping the vape, chasing it with his beer and AirPods, laptop on the balls. And I'm like, bro, is anyone seeing this? Like this woman is a fucking beast in the best sense of the word. And then this other person, in my opinion, is identifying with those toxic masculine traits, like not doing anything to preserve his health, to prioritize what fucking matters. Like taking a backseat on life. I Bro, would
1: call that beta instead of toxic masculine. Okay, I think, I think whether you call it toxic masculinity- Toxic or be- masculinity, just to be clear, is when women say that like you think men are stronger than women and you go out of your way for that to be like a point that's proven. You think men are s- smarter than women so you're like you could never do the job I do, you're a woman. Right. That's what people would call toxic masculinity. I would call that just a dick, just somebody who's toxic as a person. Yeah. And so, and and some of those things, while they are
0: controversial, some of them do have some truth to them. Um, but whether it's called toxic masculinity or being a beta, I think the worst thing that any man can do is put a woman in front of their mission, in front of their purpose. And I think so, I think that's what oftentimes happens in these relationships is like, especially men, they become so complacent and comfortable that they put everything else in their life on the side, their fitness, their health, their fucking career. It's like, I'm gonna give all of me to this relationship when in reality, you're gonna lose all interest from her because you're not the person that that person met Three years ago or five years ago.
1: (laughs) And if they just use the rational thinking to think, listen, remember when you were single and like you didn't want to let the girl know you liked her too much at the beginning because if she knew she'd lose interest. Well, you sure as shit let that slip away because you are a simp now. You are just given anything and everything. You don't work out anymore. You don't need to impress her. You come home and you just sit on the couch and she tells you where dinner is and she keeps your schedule and it's just fucking running rampant the beta non-accountability for one's self and truest interests. And in that situation, the women
0: are forced to play the masculine role. They don't want to, right? Of course they don't want to. They're not born to be in control and take the initiative of every aspect of life. Like they're born to surrender to the flow and receive. And that's not to say that they can't be super successful or be an entrepreneur, not at all. However, it's just really shifting that spectrum of the relationship and those those, masculine-feminine dynamics. And that's why I think a lot of the shit that I see out there is like, you can kind of just see it. It's like the energetics of it don't look right. And, um, Yeah. And it's- da- daddy issues, by the way. You touched on daddy issues. I'm so glad you brought these up. This is why I fucking love Adam because like if there's something that he wants to talk about, he'll talk about it. And I'm we'll glad talk that it. we... We'll I'm talking about it. Well, daddy issues is something that of course it definitely um, implies and is usually used around women, right? But dudes have fucking daddy issues. You have daddy issues. I have daddy issues, right? Whether... That means we're trying to compete with our dads or be more successful or whatever it might be, all these fucking micro traumas. So everyone is dealing with some sort of shit from their parents. And I think coming back to having compassion, realizing, dude, when I look at my parents now, they're 74 years old, right? I literally look at them and see their inner child. The part that wasn't loved, that wasn't taken care of, that was never fully Healed and supported. And whenever I do potentially get triggered by them, I always have that perspective and lens of like, yo, they have a lot of unresolved shit too. And they're essentially
1: kids in these adult costumes. And we come from a time with even less access to information to be able to do something about this trauma. Yeah. To be able to even learn how to tap into whatever's wrong with them. They're set in their ways and. Yeah, I dude, I look at my parents like their kids as well. And I and that's why, like, I have compassion for them, like not knowing what to do to handle this, because like in the same way that I watch myself or my brother or somebody react a certain type of way to a traumatic incident or a challenge or an argument, I watch them 30, 40 years older do the exact mm. same thing, being just as immature that doesn't disappear what do i think that in 30 years i'm going to act so much differently my brain is formed right now if anything i might be more hardcore and set in my ways hopefully speaking this now i can be aware enough to stay open-minded and grow as i get older well that's why we need to continue tapping into the medicine
0: of mushrooms because they increase our neuroplasticity and they allow us to expand our horizon and see things from new perspectives so regardless if you're 52, 62, we going to be fucking still here rocking the mic doing big things. Um real quick, I know I know you got to run soon, but talk a little bit if you don't mind about maybe some of your I know you shared this uh I think on the first or second time we connected on the pod about your LSD experience. Yeah. But but would you mind maybe sharing uh what impact mushrooms have had? in your journey and
1: if they've helped you in any capacity. So my biggest, um, my awakening moment when it comes to these substances was with LSD. It was very powerful. Um, It was a full dose, which you would have to take a lot of mushrooms to get. And you can't have that first experience again. Beyond that, mushrooms have helped me in a lot of ways to stay attached to how I felt when I was on that. And then of course to help me like, not feel a certain chemical imbalance, which I know you can just feel sometimes when consistently, let's say, living in the matrix or going through the routine that is negative in your life. Mm. So I use uh, psilocybin only ever in a microdosing format, usually. I can't think of the last time I've taken a large dose to trip. Um, but I use, psilocy- I use psilocybin in a microdosing format specifically for work productivity. Um, But also more importantly, because it helps me see all of the strings that I have tied to things in life, to see all of the doors that I have either fully open or slightly open and realize like this requires a lot of energy to balance and hold something with all of these strings. Like this string, ugh, get rid of it, not get rid of it in theory and it's still dangling. Get rid of the dangling. Close the door. Close the door. And- I experienced this on my first ever full trip, spiritual awakening moment. And again, I use psilocybin regularly so I can connect with that and recognize like this is me clinging to something through emotion, through trauma that is not suiting me. And the rational part of my mind, the substance helps me rationalize more and be like, it's just not necessary and it's gone. And Mm. it's literally, it's just gone. It's always just gone, yeah. And then the better end of it is like I feel so connected to my body, and again, this is a microdose. You have no hallucinogenic effects. Oh, no, it's subperceptual, so right? Um, I have such a connection to my body. I know Johns Hopkins has been granted permission from the government for the last two decades to do research on magic mushrooms. They're one of the most prestigious medical institutes in the country. And they've not only tested on control groups and, and had everything necessary for a safe and clear testing environment, but they've shown again and again that it unlocks different parts of your brain that are more creative, that you're less predisposed to stress or to PTSD or all of the different things that like we now know that this substance can help you in. And for me, it's pure creativity. I'm so focused when I'm on it. Um, I took Adderall in college and it was, I was, it was an amphetamine and it just cracked me out. I yeah. actually couldn't study on it. I ended up just like cleaning for four hours, like rapidly. And just Felt depleted like I was the shit attack. out of your right. dopamine centers. And this was very natural. But I say this, I say that to say this, like it's not addicting. I'm not so productive. Like, Oh, I got to do it again. I got to feel that cracked out feeling. Yeah. It's only showing me everything that I could do without it if I could just remove the piece of me that spends so much energy with those strings and with those doors being open.
0: Wow, I appreciate you sharing that, bro. That was actually really fucking beautifully said. Um, what you touched on just now at the end is kind of what I'm always speaking upon with the medicine, is the best gift that it offers, even in a microdose, like you mentioned, is that it helps show you that you are actually the medicine. That all the shit that you want to create, that you want to tap into, is already inside of you. And oftentimes it just requires the closing of doors, right? Eliminating certain distractions and aligning again with your highest self. So I'm
1: grateful that you shared that. And I I know- I I even like hearing that. Because you ever heard like, where do dreams come from? Mm. We don't know. They come deep within your subconscious. You create either the fucked up shit or the beautiful shit that you see in dreams. You're creating it the chemistry that's going on in your mind. So you think just because you ate this thing from the earth, that it's programming some data to see a unicorn or to see these colors. It's not programming. That's in you. It's a hundred percent in you, just like the dreams are in you. It's just unlocking your ability to, to do all of that and to
0: see them and to actually receive them. Cause sometimes our mind's so busy that we actually never allow ourselves the chance to kind of observe and see things. Right. Um, What is something, if you don't mind sharing, do you have to go right now? Can we go for like five more? Yeah, let's go five more. All right, cool. I'm curious to know, like you mentioned uh, pulling at these strings or closing doors, right? What are some of those things right now that maybe you recently closed out of your life that were potentially distracting you from what you wanna create moving forward? And then maybe what are some of those things that you know that you need to close And you haven't maybe taken action yet
1: the first time i had the effect from this to recognize there were doors and strings the most important thing at the time which is what led me to doing this drug anyway because i was in more of a self destructive mindset it's a medicine not a drug exactly but i saw it as a drug then and i did it in this self-destructive mindset where now i see it as more of a medicine but i had to have that awakening as well Um, but what i was dealing with a really bad breakup I had lost a job. So, like, I didn't have a job. I didn't have the girlfriend. So, no love, no job. And I was um, going into self destruct mode. So, I said, fuck it, I'll take. And it was at the time, it was the LSD. But when it showed me the strings and the doors, the most important thing that it did for me was it just showed me how much of my energy was going towards this breakup. Now, I wasn't acting, I wasn't at her door every day knocking on it. I wasn't messaging. It was just how much emotional energy I was just pouring out. And I instantly snipped it. It's easier said than done. Obviously, in the moment I was very connected to what I was feeling. I instantly snipped it. So at the moment, now I recognize that I've always, even as an adult, I spend too much of my energy on women. Um, I don't date much. I recently like was seeing somebody somebody for a very short period of time. Um, but outside of that, like I don't generally date much. So But what's interesting is I usually spend just as much energy being single and doing single man shit as I do being with somebody and what I can do with that energy when it's focused. Mm. And I mean, it's just so clear. Like, I think there's a moment where like, let's say when you start dating somebody new, where you're still trying to show like you're owning your shit, but you're interested in them. So you're yeah. vulnerable enough to show you're interested, but you're also still trying to show like, nah, my stuff comes first. right? And it probably doesn't last so long. It's probably the honeymoon phase. But that moment is probably the highest productivity that I can think of because I'm not wasting time trying to find other girls to satisfy sex. That's taken care of. Right. Emotion is taken care of. And yet I'm still prioritizing myself mm. and in my alpha. So. I'm trying to take that forward into any future relationships or future dating, just maintaining that I have shit in my life that is the most important to me. And part of that is meeting a partner and part of that's meeting kids. But that's not the most important thing. The only way I'm meeting that partner, the only way I'm having those kids is by continuing to focus on the shit that makes me the happiest.
0: What is that stuff that makes you the happiest?
1: One, feeling financially secure. Not only now, but setting up a path for myself in the future. Um, not having to worry that, like, my career could change all of a sudden and I have to go back in an office. Um, my family, my movement, my health. It's funny, like, I can look fit, but I cannot feel healthy inside my gut because of things I'm eating or things I'm not digesting. Um, so, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I love, I love how simple that shit is, right? You literally listed three things, like your financial security and safety to provide for you and your family, then your family and relationships, and then your health. It's really that simple. I mean, for me, it's the same thing. I mean, it's my, it's my health always comes first because I know if I'm not feeling optimal, I'm not able to give at the level that I want to. So that's why I'm always making sure my cup is overflowing so I can give that energy and love to everyone around me. And then number two is for sure, family, close friends, those relationships, making sure that I'm holding space for them, showing up for them. And then number three, definitely my mission, my purpose, like just living in that energy every fucking day, impacting lives, doing what we're doing now for me is that's really it. And when you actually simplify shit, bro, it allows you to close so many open doors that are just distractions.
1: You made me realize something that's pretty interesting, though. You said you, you list health. I didn't list mine in order, but you list health, your own health first, because that's number one. And without health, you don't feel the motivation, the drive or the ability to then have the relationships or go after the financial goals. Isn't it a funny catch 22? Because at the same time, if I don't have the finances in place, if I don't feel comfortable with my cash flow to live the lifestyle I'm accustomed to, I don't have the motivation to take care of myself, to hit the gym, to get the nice meal, to cook for myself, to what a fucked up world.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it all comes kind of full circle too, because the more health you have, the more energy and vitality you have, the more output you're going to be able to produce, which ultimately is going to support your business and your financial abundance, right?
1: And the more security security you have financially is the more time you can focus on your health and not have to worry about how am I going to put food on the table. And I got, I should be spending my time doing that. I mean, dude, 70 percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Right. Yeah. And we're grateful. 70 percent are also overweight. 48 percent are morbidly obese. Yeah. So they're spending a lot of time doing something that isn't satisfying them financially and sure shit isn't satisfying them health wise. So what are they really spending their time on?
0: This is exactly why you never want to fucking settle for an average life because average in America is sick, fat, unhealthy, and unhappy
1: as bad as it gets. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about right now? I'm excited about, um, I feel like a a shift kind of happening in the world. I think people are, there's enough, um, good health advice that's out there mixed with all of the bad propagandized advice. I think the world's kind of waking up to one of the biggest killers, um, which is seed oils, um, cooking oil, and seed oils, one of the worst things. Um, I think the world's waking up to nutrition. I think the majority of disease, illness, and whatever else starts in the gut. I'm not the first to say this. I forgot whichever famous uh, philosopher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Said something like that 90% of something starts in the gut. Well, Think about that. We're being led wrong advice. So I'm most excited for the fact that people are waking up. They recognize that fat is not going to make you fat. Cutting the fat off of your steak is not the thing that's making you fat. What's making you fat is the vegetable and the seed oils which cause inflammation to your gut. It's the processed foods that cause massive amounts of inflammation. When you have inflammation, inflammation, inflammation in your liver, your liver starts to store fat. It doesn't function properly and then the rest of your body becomes more predisposed to holding this fat, holding this inflammation because it throws off your hormone levels from the inside. Everybody looks at it like this. If I can grab fat that means I'm eating too much fat. No, if you can grab fat, it means <clears throat> your hormones are out of whack. It means your liver has been destroyed and it means you're literally eating an inflammatory diet.
0: Yeah. I mean, all these myths that we're constantly busting, like psychology today recently came out with something. And this was not the first publication recording this, but linking low cholesterol levels with higher suicidal rates. Right. And All of our childhood, all of our life, we were told to be careful of cholesterol. We saw things like egg white omelets on the menu, which still fucking makes me upset. Like egg white omelets are the dumbest fucking thing that makes zero sense nutritionally. First of all, they're not even using real eggs. They're using like those fucking liquid egg whites, which are God knows what. We've
1: been been told the wrong thing from the beginning. We've been saying that cholesterol is bad. And fatty foods give you cholesterol, eggs and steak, foods that are literally full of the most nutrition that, is, that your body needs, the most vital nutrients, aminos, everything that you need is in the things that they tell us is the most harmful for us. But at the same time, you have reports that just came out, I think um, not so many years ago, saying that there is no link to dietary cholesterol and blood cholesterol. That means eat all of the egg yellows that you want And it's not going to change your cholesterol level. That's mind-blowing for everybody who is told that their arteries are clogged. They need to eat healthier. Well, yeah, they do need to eat healthier. They don't need to avoid fat and avoid cholesterol. What they need to do is avoid inflammatory, processed, fake foods. They're not food. The problem in the grocery store is you know what's food. Food comes from the earth. Everything else is called food. It's not actually edible. Yeah, it's you not. just can eat it and you won't die. You realize that ninety you won't die now. Right, you're, you're gonna die and you're gonna live a slow, really shitty life, dude. I was walking through the wood, through the forest in Turkey not so long ago. It was like their Grand Canyon, and we saw wild raspberries growing. They were very much or blackberries. They were very much blackberries. Smelled them, even tasted a little bit just to be sure, and then a guide walked by and validated it before going his way. As i 'm sitting there picking them, a group of unhealthy Americans that are on tour walk by like fat, unhealthy, highly inflamed systems, saying, "You should be careful and not eat that. How do you know it's edible that's ironic as shit to me, yeah, what do you mean? What about the Captain Cruncher eating coming from the earth you're worried in the rare instance that this might be some sort of poisonous berry, but Doesn't matter who made this brownie. You don't know what's in it. The source, this cookie, this soda, this drink, this sugary substance, all the things from the inner aisles in the supermarket. You have no idea how they were made. You just see it in a commercial and you assume that's safe to eat. Yeah. But now I'm eating a berry from earth and now you're worried and concerned. Yeah. It's a very
0: easy way to eliminate all of the dogma from different diets is just like you mentioned. Did this food come from earth? Did it come from nature like a banana did, like an avocado did, like a salmon did, like a steak did? Like, is this part of nature in that ecosystem or was it fabricated
1: in a lab? I like to look at it like this. If you want to eat chicken and rice, you can go to the supermarket. You can buy chicken. What are the ingredients? Chicken. You can go buy rice. What are the ingredients? Rice. And you can make chicken and rice and the ingredients are chicken and rice. Or you can go into the freezer uh, aisle and you can buy pre-made chicken and rice where the ingredients are chicken, 20 other different things, preservatives, soybean um, oil, different oils, and you can buy rice, 20 different ingredients. Now, if I ask you, because I'm your nutritionist, can you write out for me what you ate for the week? Let's imagine you had to write out exactly what you ate. Imagine there's a meter that could tell you exactly what you consumed. One person ate chicken and rice. The other person thinks they ate chicken and rice. They ate chicken, rice, and 50 chemicals. If that was written out, I think people would recognize oh, I didn't realize what I'm eating. I don't even know what that stuff is. I don't know what half of them are. You talk about a lot of them in your videos, but like there's shit that we are We know carrot, chicken, rice. We don't know yellow this number five and what it's doing to our fertility
0: yeah i mean all this shit and that and that's again we've talked about it many times before you've touched on the importance of gut health and that 90 percent of our feel-good hormone serotonin is produced in the gut right and we're constantly infusing ourselves with all of these toxic inflammatory ingredients artificial food dyes that all come from petroleum all these artificial sweeteners right? That have been found and proven to disrupt the gut microbiome. And then we wonder why we feel like shit. It's because we've forgotten that our food directly determines our mood and mental health. And this would save so many lives. And it would save so many children's lives who are being put on all of these bullshit medications, right? Told they can't focus when in reality, they're just being fed poison. They're being stuck in a classroom for seven hours in fluorescent lighting, learning about shit that has no relevance to what they actually want to pursue in life. And yeah, I mean, I think that's, I would love to keep talking about nutrition, but I know you have to go get a fresh cut, even though your hair looks pretty fresh already. Um, but I do want to give you the opportunity to kind of just like end this on your terms, anything that maybe you want to share with the world, like another thing that we didn't Get the opportunity to touch on, and then also. Well,
1: I think we should let's just end it on on that because it's a good topic and it's something that people really need to hear. Is, and I love to make this analogy, but like if I go right now and I bang my head into the wall, again and again, you're gonna say, bro, you're gonna give yourself head trauma. You're gonna have a brain injury. You're gonna have a concussion. It's considered mm. serious. Head trauma is a serious topic, but at the same time, we recognize that there is, what, 200 million neurons, the same neurons that are in our brain, in our gut. We know that. Scientifically, we know that. Scientifically, we know of the gut-brain connection. Scientifically, we know that the majority of our serotonin is made in the gut, and that's what makes us happy. So the science is clear. Why are we metaphorically banging our head, our stomachs, against the wall when you eat this processed shit, and this cooked in seed oil, And this and that, it's no different. It literally is similar to head trauma because an inflammatory diet makes you cognitively weaker. That means your brain function is reduced on an inflammatory. That means what you eat affects your brain. So it is similar to bashing your head against the wall when Mm. it comes to your cognitive abilities. I think a lot of people always say it's not worth it to go train for two, three hours a day to be fit. You could be doing other things with your time. You're right. You could. There's definitely people that take it too seriously. But what if I told you that the fit person has more cognitive abilities than the not fit person? If I'm a hiring manager, this is a shame, but it's the reality. If I'm a hiring manager and I have the choice between someone who is overweight, morbidly obese, and someone who's not, and I'm looking at their resumes pretty much like relative, you know, they're more or less the same, I'm not going with the overweight person. Now that's just because I happen to know that his brain's not working as good as, as good as it could be. And he's also not taking care of the most important value that everybody should have, which is your own health and longevity. Mm, so that's, powerful. It, that's why I want to end mm. this podcast with where it starts right in the gut. Hey, that's where it started right in the gut. That's where it starts. Fuck yeah. Um,
0: I appreciate you, bro. Thank you for being here. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to acknowledge you Appreciate before you. you put on your shades before or no, no you can put on before. your shades I oh, want nice to lights. I want to acknowledge you bro for just uh showing up every day and just being being a amazing friend Appreciate and you as well and um just like being yourself I think being as authentic as you <laughs> are gives me and other people permission to just fucking be ourselves unapologetically. You've actually, I feel like, helped me a lot in that respect when I reflect on people who have actually had a positive impact in me. And like, whether it's just the way I show up in conversations or with my content, I feel like I'm genuinely tapping most into my authenticity. And I think you're a big reason for that. Um, I appreciate that. And and the final thing I'll say is like, this is why I want to always do record with you. Like when we're in town together is because I feel like a lot of people, who have followed you for years like they don't get to see this side of you and they don't get to see you dive deep into these type of topics and like they might think oh like this dude is so fucking strong and so fit like like he's so tough like there's no and that's what you are bro like you're a fucking multi-dimensional being with lots of layers and i see you i feel you i appreciate you dog. Hey, every, uh,
1: every hero and every evil villain's got to have his lair. So we all got lairs. <laughs> yeah. Finish but up. I, appre- I appreciate you, man. And, um, I think it's something that's really unique about, at least in my experience, maybe yours as well. Like they always say things are going to change in your life when you become 30 or you cross this imaginary mark, but something around this point in my life, a few years ago, like just feel very fucking comfortable doing the things that are more organic, right? Yeah. It's like weird to think so many years might've gone by pursuing things that I didn't feel aligned with. You know, now it's like, it's just so comfortable to just do this shit that feels right. Somebody invites me out and I don't need to come up with an excuse why I don't want to go. If I don't want to go, I just say, I don't want to go. Yeah. They're like, why? I don't think it'll be fun. That's not an excuse you can give. No, I got to walk my dog or I got something to do tomorrow. No. Just don't want to go. Don't
0: you don't need to justify yourself. Yeah. And that's just you putting yourself
1: as a priority. But it's that rawness. And I think that uh it's nice to see the homies grow with you and exemplify that because then if you could be friends when you're just being raw, organic in yourself, then that's that true brotherhood. Hell yeah. Where can people find you and connect with you? Find me at Adam underscore Freighter, YouTube Adam Freighter, TikTok probably Adam Freighter. The truth is in this world, I'm known as Adam Freighter. Um <laughs>
0: It is like your name.
1: It. My parents, that's the one thing my parents chose for me I haven't been able to deviate from. So for now, I will be Adam Frader this life and uh, we'll worry about the next afterwards. Fuck yeah. Thank you for listening and watching
0: until the end. You fucking legend, savage. Appreciate you. You already know. Subscribe, share this episode with a friend. Adam already left, but you know, he would agree with this message. Share this shit with a friend. Leave a review if it impacted you in any sort of positive way possible. We love you, appreciate you, much love. Peace! Oh my goodness, that podcast with Adam was absolutely incredible. And Adam's actually one of my best friends, but I don't think we've talked about a lot of the things that we touched on in this conversation. So if you got any value whatsoever from the show, please show some love by leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to or watched this podcast episode. It genuinely means the world and it allows us to impact more people and reach more lives. And also hit us up, tag us on Instagram with your biggest takeaway, because we want to continue connecting with you and cultivating this community. Without further ado, thank you so much, fam. You're the fucking best. Peace out.